I'm always looking for new podcasts to listen to, and I'm sure that's shocking to no one. And in my searches, I found a podcast that in episode one told me about a brewer's journey to find something missing from his beers and how he found it. So today, we're talking with Brian Rape about his podcast and the community that he's built all around low oxygen brewing today on Homebrewing DIY. recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes, as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on the show, like the tilt hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast? Do you have a subject you want to discuss with listeners? Do you even know where to start? Well, if you want to make a podcast and you want to get started now, I could not recommend Anchor enough. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Hey, look, I shopped around for a place to post my podcast, and Anchor was the easiest, most streamlined experience you could ask for. So if you're looking for a place for your new podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this podcast covers it all. On today's show, we're going to talk to Brian Rabe about his new podcast and the community built around low-oxygen brewing. We're going to talk about how he found this brewing style and how you can take steps in your own brewing to go low-oxygen. But first, I'm very excited about our last show of the year and going through all of your homebrew hacks. We got a ton of submissions, and Evan Sherlock and I are excited to go over all of them. We're going to send a homebrewing DIY sticker to the top hack submitted to the show, so make sure you listen to the show on December 26th so that we can discuss homebrew hacks. But first, I have a cool bit of feedback that I'd like to cover. I started posting pics in my first batch that I made using my new interface between my Fermentrack fermentation controller and Brewfather brewing software. I use a tilt hydrometer and I can now get 
my current temperature and gravity charted out in all of my recipes and my brew logs. I'm really stoked about having this, and uh, I got to thank John Beeler for uh, adding this feature to Fermentrack. Now to get back to the feedback. I got a message from Instagram user Arthur Ageltlinger, and he asked me how I got the chart, and I told him that I used Fermentrack and my tilt hydrometer. He then replied asking if he should invest in a fermentation chamber first and then try to get the integration to see your tilt charted out in Brewfather. Well, Arthur, you don't have to do the fermentation chamber. You can still use the monitoring and the charting from your tilt hydrometer. You can do it pretty easily. You just have to build it out with a tilt Pi, which is uh, easy to do. You just get a Raspberry Pi 0W, adding the tilt Pi image to it. And then you should be able to very seamlessly integrate that straight into Brewfather. So the answer is you can get your monitoring in your brewing software and there's no need to have a fermentation chamber to do so. Arthur, thanks for the question and keep them coming. If you have any more questions, please let us know. And also for all of our listeners, if you have any feedback, you can always send an email to me at podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. I'd love to hear from you and any feedback is very much appreciated. Please support our podcast by heading over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. We have a really cool promotion going on right now. And if you give it the $1 level monthly, you're going to get access to an ad free RSS feed as well as early access to our episodes. I will also send you a handwritten thank you note with a homebrewing DIY logo sticker. Your support keeps this show coming to you for free every week. So please become a supporting member today at patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Another way of supporting the show is to head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com and give us a review. It'll help other homebrewers find us, and please let them know that you'll like the show. The last way you can support the show is to go to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and use the Adventures in Homebrewing and the Brewfather banner. When you buy using those links, these great sponsors support our show, and it lets them know that you found them on Homebrewing DIY. Well... It's now time to dig into my discussion about low oxygen brewing with Brian Rabe on Homebrewing DIY. Well, I'd like to welcome Brian Rabe to Homebrewing DIY. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well. Thank you. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. And let's just uh, dive right into our uh, talk today. I I think the first thing we want to talk about is that you have a a really cool podcast called low oxygen brewing why don't you uh just give us a quick description of what that is and what you're trying to cover sure so yeah um it was uh it was kind of pushed upon me not really pushed but the idea was kicked around that uh we do more of a long format uh type kind of set up that that allowed us to really or myself to really deep dive into these topics and elaborate more it's always easier easier to talk through things than it is to sit and type out you know forum posts or or even blog posts for that matter and so the concept of the low oxygen podcast was basically um we have i have a forum I have a blog section and a website, lowoxygenbrewing.com, where we wrote uh, a paper, uh, Methods of a Low Oxygen Brew House. And in that paper, it details kind of what we're all about. And then backing that up, there's a, 
a blog with a bunch of posts that kind of interject into the different um, different sections of the paper. And so the podcast was thought, or we think that um, we're going to kind of deep dive into every one of those blog posts and really kind of uh, go deep into the whys and hows and, uh, and that of the paper. Awesome. And, and when you, so, so the idea of the podcast is really a deep dive in just a different type of uh, format to really consume that, uh, the, the, the content of that paper and it's really educational, right? Yeah. So, uh, a lot of what we do is really scientific and, uh, there's a, a references or a resources page that is super uh, thick, as it were, in scientific uh, method and research and professional brewing and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's really hard to elaborate on those kind of things when you're just trying to, you know, type out a post or something like that. So the, the thought was that we could really elaborate on those kind of things. Awesome. And I agree. A, a podcast is a great format to kind of deep dive if you really want to consume something that might be a little I guess the word would be heavy to read with a lot of uh, resource material right exactly yeah yeah and then you know you, you have a pretty big community on your website uh, to- directly geared towards that scientific research uh, you know is it anybody can go to that website and join if they're curious is that right Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, all inclusive, all welcoming. Um, we have brewers of, of all skill levels and, uh, process levels and all that kind of stuff. Um, the focus, uh, on the, the forums and the website, as I said, is, is very heavy into modern, uh, professional scientific, uh, those kind of brewing practices. Awesome. Well, before we dive into uh, talking on the modern professional scientific brewing, let's talk a bit about your history and kind of how you got to where you are today with your brewing and your setup. Uh, you, I, I've, I saw a couple pictures on your website of your brew setup, and it, I have to admit it's uh, very, very uh, nice and epic. I'm kind of super jealous. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that ev- to get there is a progress, is a process, and so... What was the process of getting to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, 2020 will mark my 20th year of brewing. And I started brewing in uh, 2000. And I was a college kid. Uh, My dad got a a Mr. Beer gift as a birthday present. And uh, he is the farthest thing from a brewer or a beer drinker. And so uh, he was basically going to throw it away. And I said... uh, well, I'm curious. Uh, let me try it. I've always been a tinkerer, and um, I was going to school at the time for engineering, and and so I was like, you know, well, let's give it a try. So I brewed that first batch with the uh, um, Mr. Beer kit, and I was uh, super intrigued by the process and, and how it all worked and how I could add just some random what at the time was what I seemed, what I thought was random ingredients. And it turned out to this beer or beverage I could drink. So, um, it really kind of played to those, uh, 
strings as it were in my engineering and my tinkering and that kind of stuff so that's kind of where it all started after that uh, I did two of those batches and then I walked into I'm local I'm in Minnesota so I'm local to Midwest and Northern Brewer and I, I walked into Midwest Supplies and said uh, fit me up with a real kit and so you know I, I got my first uh, five gallon batch set up did one extract batch from there and uh I started exploring the all grain and stuff like that. And um, with the all grain, it gave me more knobs and levers to pull and tweak. And so uh, that kind of, depending on who you ask, maybe uh, downward slid me into the obsession that is brewing today. And so as it sits today, uh, I probably have 1,500 batches under my belt. Um, brew a lot of beer. Uh, I do some professional consulting with local breweries around here and other breweries. So, you know, of those 1500 batches, uh, some are five gallons, some are 10 gallons, some are half barrel, some are barrel, all the way up to 20, 20 barrel systems. So, um, uh, I just love brewing and, uh, I have some German roots. My grandma was born and raised in Salzburg, Austria. And so beer is is definitely part of the culture there. And so I got really into German beer and German beer brewing. And so the ultimate takeaway from uh, all my brewing was I wanted to build a, a fully automated mini German brew house in my basement. And so that's uh, kind of a 30,000, 35,000 foot uh, overview of me and brewing man and and uh i have to admit that the 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 brew system that uh i i've seen only photos of uh and and i've heard you describe on your podcast seems to me like you can really get very dialed when it comes to trying to consistently brew things and i think that that plays a lot into some of the testing that you've been doing right yeah, absolutely. So like uh, my my Desert Island beer, as it were, would be a pale German lager, preferably a Helles or a Pilsner. So um, that that's probably what I brew 90% of. So my system mimics that of the professional, the modern, the current uh, professional German brew houses. And it, I, it's really big for me to have uh, consistency, repeatability. And I find that, uh, I screw a lot of things up. So the farther I can get removed from the process and allow computers and, and those things to do things that I get uh, a better product. And so that's kind of where, um, I love the process. I love to brew, but on the same token, I also want to, drink what I set out to brew. And, and so I have very tight standards, very rigid standards on the beer and stuff like that. And the automation and that kind of stuff uh, helps out tremendously. That's awesome. And, and kind of how did you discover the low oxygen method? It seemed to me like you were kind of uh, chasing something and uh, it kind of led you to this place, right? Yeah, exactly. So like I said, um, the German beer, the continental beers, specifically, you know, like continental pale lagers, um, 
were always something of a white whale to me. It was really hard to reproduce. Um, and my, my bar is set really high and I, just because I made it in my basement, I don't, I'm probably tremendously over hard on myself when it comes to that, because if my beer doesn't, you know, pass a a triple blind with a a commercial example, then I consider that a failure and it may be delicious and it may be fine to drink, but that wasn't my goal. My goal was to, to, uh, at least be at the level of those beers. And so what was really hard for me was to, to reproduce all the qualities of these beers in my house. And so, um, what led us down to the low oxygen stuff was uh, a group of people who felt the same way. And we, you know, we could make the beers, but there was just, you know, there were certain elements of these beers that were missing to us. And, and albeit maybe minor to most people, those were some really kind of benchmark goals for us to get to. And so the low oxygen stuff was discovered when we started really deep diving and exploring all the professional German brewing texts, the, the, the modern ones, uh, from the likes of like Weinstefan and VLB Berlin, which are some of the, the most prestigious, prestigious, uh, brewing schools in the world. So I, I made friends at those. I, I made friends with professors at Weinstefan, and I was able to get coursework and uh, course books and stuff like that. And so once we started really pouring through those kind of things, we started to see this glaring, this glaring topic that was, that was everywhere, but it really didn't make sense. And, and basically what, what they were saying was oxygen is bad. And, and, um, on the on all through all parts of the process hot and cold side and so it really it really took some some relearning of what what we're taught you know i I don't want to say dogma but what we've been taught with you know how to brew and and stuff like that with the with the home brewing textbooks um so you know, the things that we thought were true maybe potentially uh, became untrue when we started reading this professional literature. And when we got done with this professional literature and and kind of um, really thought about it and started trying some of these these methods and procedures, our beers started to resemble... um, the continental beers we were going for. And it all makes sense. I mean, if you're trying to, if you're trying to make a beer that you, you know, if you're trying to make a, uh, an IPA or, you know, any beer, if you don't use the same methods, you know, whatever they may be, it might be hard to get the finite details of the beer that you want. And so it's really these professional brewing books and literatures where we kind of discovered this, this whole thing that is low oxygen brewing. And right out the, the, the gate, what would you say is the number one benefit from low oxygen brewing that you could tell from the first time that you utilize this method? Um, there's really two that are really glaring. Uh, one is that, uh, the color, the color is different. 
and two, it, the there's a there's a flavor in the beer that we call fresh lingering grain. It kind of tastes similar to where if you were to you know grab put your hand in a malt bin or a malt bag and you know take some kernels and chew on them. There's that kind of uh, raw grainy flavor, and um, we found that if you try and if you get rid of the oxygen on the hot side, then your colors become much more pale and your, that flavor is, is really intense. Awesome. And, and you know, most people that are probably listening to this show and a great example would be myself. I'm a brew in a bag brewer. Trust me, uh, getting oxygen out of my hot side is going to be very difficult for me. But my question would be, what would you say are some steps that, your average home brewer could take today to try to minimize or to mitigate some of the oxygen that they're adding to their beer today? Sure. So first, first things, uh, first thing I would say is, um, not all beers traditionally or even current day are brewed low oxygen. And so, you know, your American, it depends on the brewery, really. If they're a large-scale brewery like Sierra Nevada. So Sierra Nevada in the United States is what I would consider a low-oxygen brewery. They mill their grain under nitrogen, and they do some things to avoid hot side aeration. And and so Sierra Nevada's beers are are highly revered uh, along with like bells bells is another brewery who's fanatical about oxygen on the hot side and you know their two-hearted ipa is you know usually voted one of the best in the in the u.s so but with that said you definitely don't have to you don't have to do it um you know there's many a beers that are brewed uh through the millennia that no one cared about hsa and so so you don't have to, and and it does turn out a different product, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you will like said product. Um, so, but for the for the normal uh, home brewer, the the biggest things, I guess, the biggest takeaway, if you want to mitigate oxygen on the hot side, is you have to figure out how to get oxygen out of your strike water. And there's really two methods. Well, there's there's really three methods, but um, really two methods are the easiest for home brewers. And that's one to pre-boil your your strike liquor or your strike, and or use what we uh, came up with with this. It's called yeast scavenging, where you just add a little bit of uh, bread yeast and a little bit of sugar. And uh, what we know about fermentation and yeast is that yeast scavenge oxygen in your wort normally. And so what we do is we kind of use a hack. Well, all these are hacks, but we use this hack particularly to uh, get bread yeast to deoxygenate the water for us. And so there's one of those two methods. The other method is to use a stripping gas or uh, recirculate with a stone that uses nitrogen or something like that to purge the oxygen out. But um, boiling or this yeast oxygen uh, scavenging would be your two easiest. And then once you, you deoxygenate that water, and um, I helped develop uh, for Speedel, they sell a low oxygen brewing kit for their Braumeisters, and I helped develop that. And so 
um, it's definitely brewing a bag. You can definitely do low oxygen measures. And, and so uh, the, once you deoxygenate that strike water, you're going to want to add some form of antioxidant. And we found that your regular off-the-shelf Camden tablets, which you may be using already to uh, dechlorinate your water, um, about 20 ppm of those or 25 ppm of those sulfites will give you some active protection to keep the oxygen out of the water. And what sulfite does when it reacts with oxygen is it, it uh, breaks down to sulfate and whatever the, the Camden was when it started, either uh, sodium or, uh, uh, gosh, uh, potassium. And so once, once the sulfites react with oxygen, they break down to either potassium and sulfate or sodium and sulfate, which is basically just your standard water chemistry, you know, ions you may add. And um, then find some form of a cap, um, a floating cap. And so uh, if you have a floating cap, that's gonna, that's gonna so you have the de deoxygenated water you have a active antioxidant. So what you would do is um, lower your bag really gently into the strike water and uh, slowly. And then once it gets fully submerged, you would uh, give it a gentle stir. And then you would find some form of a floating cap. We have some people that use uh, like simple as tin foil. Uh, some people use like floating cake pans or pizza pans or anything like that to uh, kind of guard. Oxygen is always trying to get into things and, and the gas laws. Um, oxygen is trying to get back into the water. So if you, you have some form of a cap and some form of antioxidants, that's your protection from, from that gas exchange happening. And so once that happens, um, you would just mash under the, that cap with those sulfites and then everything else is just standard brew day practice. You're gonna, you know, lift your bag, you're gonna go to the boil, you're gonna add your hops, you're gonna add your yeast, you're gonna ferment. And, and what we, we're really fanatical about oxygen on the cold side. So when it comes to packaging, we would either do what, uh, what we call a spund, where when there's uh, like four gravity points remaining, we would rack that into a keg or bottles or, um, some form of carbonation naturally because what we know about yeast is that yeast scavenge oxygen so the longer we can have some form of active yeast it, until it gets to the final package uh, the better okay and so like for example when german beers use uh, the method of crucining that could be one method of doing that is an example absolutely yeah absolutely uh, i have a guy in my homebrew club that swears by cruising and it's uh his beers definitely have a great german character that uh the the standard beers i see from others don't right and it's and yep and he never can kind of explain it but i think that that's a great way to explain it is that it you know the the scavenging that oxygen and creating co2 is really a great way to get it out of that cold side um yeah yeah so not to be a boogeyman but um what we've learned is that that method, along with spunding or any, any forms of natural carbonation, a, a few things happen. Uh, the CO2 is pure, 
And why that matters is because we found that bottled CO2 or CO2 that, you know, that is at the homebrew store or wherever is going to contain oxygen. And it all depends on how many nines are after the dot nine nine. So you can have like 99.99 or nine or nine nine nine. And depending how many zero or how many nines are after that decimal point, that's going to determine your purity. Well, the general beverage grade is 99.99 and that can have 20 to 30 PPM of oxygen in the tank because of those purity levels. So just by force carbing the beer, you're adding oxygen, which is going to start the staling flavors, which it's really tough to, um, when, when, when everybody hears staling flavors, they think the classic cardboard, sherry, soy sauce kind of, kind of stuff. But really that's the that's the last stage of oxidation. The first stage of oxidation is what they call the loss of brewery fresh flavors. And the loss of brewery, brewery fresh flavors is basically like hop aroma fading or um, beer character changing from the day, let's say you took your, you know, let's say you took your final gravity hydrometer reading and you tasted the beer. Now that's gonna be the freshest that beer is ever gonna be. And so the minute it changes from that flavor and, and anything that it, it changes into, that's what actually this starts the stages of oxidation. And so when you carbonate naturally, there's no oxygen, so you don't have to worry about that. And yeast under pressure uh, produce glycerol. And glycerol is a very foam positive protein, and it also has a flavor component where it, it rounds out and softens the beer. So uh, those kind of methods do change the beer a little bit. So that's probably why you pick up those different flavors in, in your, uh, your, your club guys' beers. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, a, a great example of a more modern style that is really heavily affected by cold side oxidation would be like the New England IPA, right? Uh, you see a lot of those yep. beers turn purple from oxygen at any point. And so yep. uh, those are beers that, uh, you know, I think that even if you're not heavily into German lagers, that's something that we've all seen. I have a can sitting in my fridge right now of a New England IPA that was a brewery that uh, obviously is oxygenated. And to be honest, I don't even want to drink it because it's just not the same. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I'm a beer lover. Like, like I said, I love German beers, but I drink mostly all beers unless they're sour beers. For some reason, I absolutely despise sour beers, but um, I drink many, uh, uh, any IPAs and, um, the crazy thing, the best thing I think that any IPAs brought to the to the brewing world was finally people started to realize that there's cold side oxidation and that um, these beers are hypersensitive to that, um, generally because of all the manganese. Manganese is a, is a heavy metal and it's in the hops and it's also in oats. And so a lot of these NEIPAs are heavy in oats. Well, oats carry the most manganese. Manganese, uh, when, um, when introduced to oxygen, super oxidates. It, it creates a super oxidizer. And so that's why these, these NEIPAs are hypersensitive to any oxygen. I'm so glad that, you know, these NEIPAs are out because people are, are actually starting to explore this. Now, all beers all beers can be uh can have oxidation but the 
but the NEIPAs, like you said, they're hypersensitive to that. And, and I'm glad that, that people are starting to look at that now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what what kind of beers, you know, speaking of, you know, cold side oxidation, what kind of beers do you think benefit from things like open fermentations? Because I know that there are, you know, like like you said, there are certain styles of beers that, uh, you know, obviously benefit from having a low oxygen on the cold side and obviously from the hot side as well. But, uh, you know, there are certain, I think, styles out there that benefit from open fermentations. Are, are there any that you can think of? Um, you know, traditionally in, in Germany, the Weiss beer, the Weiss beer production is in an open fermenter. Now it's kind of, uh, you got to really look at why, um, generally in commercial settings, uh, if people are going to go with an open, an open fermenter, it's to, um, produce something or ah, that's not really the right way to look at it look at it this way um the hydrostatic pressure on yeast in these big conical tanks let's say a 20 barrel uh conical tank the yeast at the bottom is under um you know 19 feet of of hydrostatic pressure and so the osmotic pressure on these yeast uh, they do funny things. They make them rupture and they make them explode and, and funny things happen. Esters are suppressed and and stuff like that. So when these commercial brewers go with, with open fermentations in shallow tanks, it's to more mimic, you know, a shallower tank, obviously, where as, as home brewers, we have this luxury where we don't have to deal with osmotic pressure or or anything really relating to issues with fermentation. That's actually... Um, one of the benefits to being a home brewer is that our vessels are so small that there's little to no hydrostatic pressure and the ester, the ester, ester uh, profiles and stuff like that, we can get better than the professionals just due to our size. Okay. The only, the other, the other thing I just want to add quick is that even though like in the, in the vice beer production in Germany, if it is an open tank, they're still going to krausen or spund or do something like that once it goes into the final package. And that's to mitigate all that oxygen, you know, pickup. Yeah, you're still trying in packaging oxygen's the killer and you're always trying to get oxygen out, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, when it comes to uh, this, you know, what, what kind of beers are you brewing right now? What, what are you brewing today? What, what's, what's, what's coming out of your brewery? Uh, I know you said that you have your, your go-to, but if you were going to say, like, what's your, what's your holy grail you're shooting for right now? Well, I just spunded a two-hearted IPA uh, clone, basically, that I make. I just spunded that this morning. Uh, so there was uh, four gravity points left in, in the fermenter, and I racked that over to kegs. And right before we got on tonight, I checked it, and PSI is up at about 28 PSI in the tanks, and that's perfect for 2.5 vols of carbonation. So the, the cool thing about the spunding and that kind of stuff is that the yeast are doing a carbonation, and so there's like a billion little carbonation stones within the liquid. So that beer is at final gravity as we speak and uh, fully carbonated, and it was brewed exactly six days ago. And so um, so that's, what I, that's what's going on right now. Otherwise, um, I always have a Hellas, uh, a Pils. Uh, we'll have, I have a Doppelbach on tap for winter. 
Um, I have a Kolsch. Uh, what else? Uh, and a Schwarz beer. That's a that's a hell of a lineup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, if you were to look at your current system that you have, and you were to say like, you know, where, I to me, brewing at least with my system, there's always something I'm working on. What would you say is uh, your the thing you're working on on your system right now? Um, it's the scripting. So uh, right now, my brewing process is is heavily automated. Um, right now, all I have to do in the brewing process is crush grain, add grain, and load up my hops into the hop dropper. Um, Everything else from uh, mashing to boil to cleanup uh, to fermenting to transfer to the packaging vessel is all automated. And it, and it um, I was able to modify the beer XML out of uh, Beersmith. So basically I start my recipe with Beersmith and then I use uh, a script I made to import that beer XML into my brewing system. So from that Beersmith uh, import, you have exact, you know, water, hops, grain, but not only that, but yeast, uh, temperature, pitch rate, all that kind of stuff, carbonation. So once that's loaded into the system, um, it basically follows the the details follow the beer as it goes through so you know it knows how much strike water to add and then we know what we're mashing at and then in my system i have real-time gravity they're called mass flow meters so i know the density i know the gravity of the liquid uh, when i'm mashing when i'm boiling i know the ph i know all that kind of stuff it, it auto maintains all that kind of stuff and so um everything else is automated and, and all that kind of stuff, but I'm constantly trying to revise and streamline the scripting just to make it, uh, you know, I probably have, probably have a hundred batches of beer on the new system. And so after every batch, you know, I might learn something, take a note and then, you know, I constantly am tweaking my script. Uh, that's, uh, it seems almost like a piece of life's work right there. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I I, I love automation of brewing. Um, for me, it's I, I've pretty much got my fermentation side down to automation, but really, it's the I, I haven't gone electric yet, right? And and really, sure. if you want to get good automation, uh, you kind of have to go electric. I know there are some where you I've seen setups where people still use gas, but it's you know it's easier to go electric. Um, sure. But uh, you know, for me, that's that's my next big goal, and uh, and you know, maybe even uh, looking at some you know different techniques of doing so. Uh, what? Let's talk about uh, how people could uh, dive a little bit more and find you on your website, and and how to really you know maybe engage with your community on the low oxygen brewing. <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, we have lowoxygenbrewing.com. Lowoxygenbrewing.com. When you go there, you're first greeted with the paper, uh, Methods of a Low Oxygen Brew House, and that kind of details, you know, more in-depth of of what we ran through today. And and, um, there's uh, a forum, like I said. uh, I also have that podcast now. And um, 
there's blogs there's there's probably um i don't know 30 to 40 blog posts that really detail different uh different parts of the methods and procedures and there's like i said the forum which there's i don't know uh, a thousand or so people um on the forums and you know they're we're constantly helping you know people every day and so uh there don't forget to check out uh, under the blog post there's our resource section which has i don't know maybe 150 to 200 uh scientific papers i belong to um quite a few of the the professional brewing communities as far as like master brewers of the americas and uh Ah, Browwelt and uh, BrewingScience.de, which is the German um, brewing science, basically symposium or forum. Um, uh, I don't know. So a lot of the papers I get from there, I, I get from the researchers, and I'm allowed to post on the resources page. So um, don't forget to check those out. Some of them can be a little dry, but you'd be amazed at the wealth of, of material we have. Yeah, and and once again, that's a lowoxygenbrewing.com, and uh, you should, if you're listening to the show and you want to get a real deep dive into uh, these brewing methods, definitely visit the website and uh, you know sign up for the forum, ask some questions. I think that that's always at least a great way to learn things. That's how I've always learned uh, my brewing methods, and I think that uh, if you're really uh, chasing that uh, that 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 something else when it comes to specifically loggering and, and loggers. Uh, this is a great resource to really uh, kind of step up that game, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and we also, I mean, we go outside of our forum. We have a, a sub forum on homebrew talk. Uh, we have a, fo- uh, a very large uh, forum post that's on American homebrewers, uh, homebrew association. And so, um, you know, we, we get out there and, and uh try and help and and you know the biggest thing we run into is is that a lot of people when they start reading stuff or start looking at it they have a lot of questions a lot of it um i I wouldn't say challenges a traditional uh brewing thoughts but it is different and so sometimes you just gotta it's hard for people to to understand and so don't worry, ask questions and, and yeah. Yeah. And in the end, we're, we're all here to make beer and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of something where, uh, for me, it's education is always the thing that's going to make anybody a better brewer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, education is big, but you know, the other, the other thing is that, you know, for a lot of people, this is a hobby and, um, you know, the cool thing with a hobby is you can take it as mild or as wild as you'd like. And so I totally get it. I mean, um, some people look at the stuff we do and are like, no way, that's way too in-depth. And that's cool. That's absolutely true. If, if that's not something that, you know, doesn't turn your gears, then uh, do what you need to do. Um, and so... Uh, you know, we're not out here trying to change the world. We're just uh, we're just trying to help the people who are who are uh, looking down that avenue, as it were. Awesome. Well, Brian, I want to thank you for coming on on the show today and really 
discussing uh, this community that uh, you've built and and really uh, educating us on uh, some really cool, you know, at a pretty high level on some really cool uh, low oxygen methods. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'd love to have you back sometime. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and, and just let me know anytime. I would like to thank Brian for taking the time to talk to us today. And if you want more information about his podcast or his scientific paper, head over to lowoxygenbrewing.com. Last, make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Look for us under the handle at homebrewingdiy, all one word. It's amazing all the feedback we get, so please reach out and let us know how we're doing. Well, that's it, and we'd love to talk to you next time on Homebrewing DIY. <laughs>